Hey there, I'm Joey Dean, lead pastor of South Lakes Church in Oklahoma City. At South Lakes Church, we exist to be radically devoted to God, relentlessly committed to true community, and remarkably passionate for the lost. We hope your faith is strengthened and you grow closer to Jesus as you listen this morning. Now let's jump into this week's message. Good morning, church. Well, hell, well, thank you. Thank you. It was a, a lively first service bunch. I'm not sure what's happening here, so thank you, sir. All right. Hey, good morning. I'm glad that you're here. Um, back from vacation, and so I'm actually, it's not really vacation when you have little kids. My wife informed me that when you leave to go on vacation, it's not called vacation. It's called just uprooting from your, per- your present circumstances and still taking care of children. So that's, that's what we did. We uprooted. We went to Virginia for a few days. We road tripped. We laughed. We cried. We stopped way too much. It was glorious. So, But I'm glad to be back. I missed you guys last week. I heard that uh, uh, Preston uh, preached. Uh, I, I know what he preached on. I told him what to preach on. But, but anyway, I, I'm, I'm glad that he was able to fill in for me. And so thank you guys. Hey, look, let me give you a couple announcements real quick. Um, and then we're going to jump into why we're here this morning. Um, this is not a shameless plug, so please don't take it this way. But this is a plea um, for, uh, uh, for words of affirmation, I guess. Um, October is Pastor Appreciation Month, and this has nothing to do with me, so don't think that I'm, I'm fishing for anything. But um, so we are six years, I'm six years into being a lead pastor. You know, I had many, many years of student ministry and, and young adult ministry experience, but I'm only six years into lead pastoring, and I don't have a lot of experience, but I can tell you the last 18 months has been significantly weightier than the first three and a half years of South Lake's existence, okay? And so the reason I share that is because I know that your staff here feels the weightiness of just COVID in general. And so I would ask that, I'm not asking you to take them out for dinner, I'm not asking you to buy them luxurious gifts. I'm saying, would you consider writing a thank you note or something, giving them a high five, perhaps a firm handshake, or if you're good friends, maybe a good Good game. So only if they're good friends. If anyone comes up and good games me, you're probably gonna get you're gonna get knocked out. I'm just gonna. I'm a skinny guy, but I mean I will swing mightily if someone comes up and good games me. Okay, but I'm just saying if you guys would do that online, you could always send emails. That would be great. So if you're watching with us online, I'm glad you're here this morning. But just words of affirmation, I think, would go a long, long ways. Secondly, next week is our seventh and I think it's seventh maybe six. Listen, we've been doing it for more than one year. So it is Pumpkin Fest next week, which is always one of our most fun things we do every year. And this year, uh, we're up in the game. We're going to have a petting zoo, uh, which um, is awesome. All right, which that's not, we dress up the staff in animal costumes and let you, that's weird. I mean, that's not that. They're actual animals. And there's a pony ride. Now, here's the thing. I've never been on a pony before, but I'm going to see if there's no weight limit or height limit. I'm riding a pony next week. All right. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, but here's the thing. It's going to take at least 100 volunteers to pull off Pumpkin Fest. Uh, we have way more than 100 people, that go, uh, adults that go to South Lakes. And so we're not even asking for everyone to do it. We're just asking for most people to do it. And so I know that as of before first service, we were in the 60s for how many volunteers we had. And so if you could go and click on the QR code and then um, do sign up, that would be great. Our first major thing is this Wednesday night from 630 to 8. We're just kind of knocking in T-posts and getting things ready uh, flag-wise. And so you can always go there and sign up. But the big thing also is that next Sunday, and I'm always excited, and we're only able to do these a couple times a year, we're doing a combined service between first and second service outdoors. Okay, SL kids will still be going on. So babies all the way up through sixth grade will still be happening. Um, But we're going to be outdoors next week at 10 o'clock. And so if you show up at 1030, you will be in the middle of the sermon. Okay, and so uh, we'll send out lots of emails and lots of text messages and all sorts of Facebook messages on that. But we will have one giant service next week outside. It'll be a shortened service. We'll go 10 to 11-ish. And then we'll send everyone home to get ready for Pumpkin Fest that night. So I'm really excited about Pumpkin Fest. It's always a, a grand thing. Last year was not fun. We were in the height of all the COVID numbers. And if you remember, it was like 30 degrees and windy. And it was just, it was horrible. If you've ever read Dante's Inferno, last year's Pumpkin Fest was like a ring of hell. It was just really bad. We couldn't keep tents up. It was blowing. I mean, we had food and it was free. It was just crazy. 
this week, uh, next weekend, is in the 70s and sunny. It's going to be awesome. And so I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. But hey, let's pray. And then we're going to jump into the text, okay? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? I always invite everyone to pray these two prayers, even at home, if you pray this with me. Would you pray first off in your heart, God, help me to be present in this moment. And then secondly, would you pray, God, will you speak to me personally this morning? And Father, we just come to you in the mighty name of Jesus, and we humbly submit ourselves at the throne room of grace. God, and I ask that as we come, whether we're in this room or we're watching online, God, I pray that you would meet us where we are. Father, I, I ask and I beg that your spirit would be poured out upon our hearts and that you would speak into the heart language that we need to hear this morning. God, and that you would challenge us and that you would remind us of a key truth about who you are and that we would walk away with hope and encouragement. God, we love you, we thank you, and it's in your son's name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Hey, do me a favor. Turn to Psalm 22 this morning. Psalm 22. If you don't have a Bible, make sure you grab one in the seat in front of you. You can always go to Version, and, and hopefully you, you were handed a handout on the way in. I want you to take some notes this morning. Um, this is a little heavier message, not in the sense of um, well, it's just heavier because this is very personal to me, and the Lord's really been teaching me this name of God very heavily over the last several months, and so, um, and so it's heavy just in the sense that the Lord's really trying to hammer this home in my life, and so um, if you're like, why is he not as full as energy as normal? Uh, it's just, I don't know, it's just sometimes messages aren't, don't lend itself that way, okay? And so, but um, Today, uh, we are going to continue in, I think this is our fifth week or so of the Names of God series. And the Name of God series has absolutely nothing to do with learning the names of God in the Old Testament and everything to do with learning the key characteristics of who God is. Because with every name that we learn of God, we learn something new about who he is. And so we've been walking through that. And so today, we are going to learn that God is Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shema. In fact, if you're taking notes this morning, this is your first fill in the blank. It's Jehovah Shema. It's the Lord is there. Now, here's the thing about Jehovah Shema. It is only used one time in the entire Bible. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't say that God is is not there because the Bible is full of examples of how God is there. I'm just saying specifically the name Jehovah Shema is used in one verse. And you might think, why in the world are we spending time on one verse? And I hope by the end of this message, you will understand what it is. So it's actually not found in Psalm 22 where Jehovah Shema is. It's found at the very end of the riveting book known as Ezekiel. I know everyone just loves to study Ezekiel. It's riveting material, all right? And so in Ezekiel, the very last sentence of Ezekiel's prophecy has the words Jehovah Shema. We're going to throw it up on the screen here. This is Ezekiel 48, 35. It says, the circumference of the city shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that time on shall be Jehovah Shema. Now, if you've been here for any of my sermons any time over the last six years, you know that the most dangerous thing that you can do is to drop into the middle of something and try to pull it out of, of context. And so this makes absolutely zero sense because this is the last sentence of a 48-chapter book, all right? And so let me see if we can set a little context. In fact, your sermon notes purposely don't have anything between now and for a little bit because I want you to just to tune in on the context here. So let's talk about the history of the Israelites up to this point in, in Ezekiel, okay? So in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, and he creates on the sixth day the pinnacle of creation. He creates man. And man and God are in perfect union together. They have a perfect relationship. They walk together. They talk together. And God makes mankind the keepers over the world that God has created. Well, that doesn't last very long because in Genesis 3, God our man chooses himself, and in choosing himself, he chooses to take of the fruit, and by taking of the fruit, this, the relationship, the perfect relationship between God and creation is fractured, 
And so what does God do? He kicks out man from his presence by removing him from the Garden of Eden. Now we got a flood that happens in there. We don't have time to go into that, okay? But what happens is that after the flood and the earth starts to repopulate, God chooses a specific family who the leader of the family is a man by the name of Abram. And God chooses Abraham or Abram, whom he renames Abraham, to begin the process of restoring mankind to himself. And he makes promises to Abraham like, hey, you count the stars in the sky. That's how many kids you're going to have. Count the sand on the seashore. That's how many kids you're going to have. And so this family grows into millions. And this, these millions of, of, of Israelites, as we know them, become enslaved to Egypt for 430 years. And after the end of 430 years, we learn this at the beginning of this message, is that God introduces himself to a man by the name of Moses through a burning bush, which was on fire, but not really on fire. And we introduce to God as Yahweh. And God tells Moses, listen, I'm hearing the cries of my people. You're going to go in there and you're going to set the people free. And so Moses goes in, we have 10 plagues and God delivers his people from 400 plus years of slavery. He marches them through the Red Sea. He marches them to the base of Mount Sinai. Moses goes on top of the mountain. God meets with Moses. And it's at this point that God begins to give structure to his people, the Israelites, and he begins to give rules and statutes to live by. But there's something else that's super important that God gives to the Israelites through Moses on Mount Sinai. He gives building plans for a building that we know as the tabernacle. And the tabernacle would serve as a structure that the people could build and tear down because they were a nomadic people. They did not have a place to call home. And so they would build this this tabernacle and they would set it in the middle of the camp. And what would happen is as they wandered throughout the wilderness, they would set up this tabernacle and this tabernacle served as a place where God's presence would come down in temporary spurts and be among his people. Now, it's not as good as being in perfect relationship in the garden, but it's better than not having anything at all. And so God would temporarily come down and be among his people in the midst of the tabernacle. Well, the Israelites do eventually become a nation with its own, uh, its own country. And they become, they establish kings. And the most famous king is David. And David wanted to build a permanent structure for God and God says you got too much blood on your hands you can't do it but your son will and so Solomon begins to build a permanent structure and they say it is just it's a it's a sight to behold it is incredible how it is it is it, it, the, the the outside of the holy of holies which is the central structure was covered in gold and they said that from afar it, it just looked like you couldn't even look upon the tabernacle or now the temple because it was just so it's like looking into that face of the sun and this was set up as a place where the nations could come together and see God's presence not literally see God's presence but know that God's presence was there amongst them because that's what this permanent structure represented was that God was among them. Well, Solomon messes up. Sure, he builds the structure and it's incredible, but he messes up and so the kingdom fractures and the kingdom fractures into two two bad regions. There's the northern region, which we know as Israel, and there's the southern region, which we know as Judah. Well, Israel is not good at all. They are a horrible nation. They never follow God. And so God sends in a superpower known as the Assyrians. They wipe out the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom is never established again. Well, the southern kingdom, they're better, but not that much better. And so what happens is they send another superpower, God does, called the Babylonians under the name of a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he ransacks Jerusalem, which is where the, cap, the, uh, the temple is, and he levels the temple of God to the ground and the people are exiled to Babylon. And so this is the condition of God's people whenever Ezekiel shows up onto the scene. They are living in captivity. They have no home. They have no nation. They have no temple. 
They can't even worship God because you can only worship God at the temple. They can't even sacrifice for their sins, which God has set up the sacrificial system because you can only do it at the temple. Now, can you imagine the people's mindset in this moment? Can you imagine what they were thinking when they're like, hey, what's up with all these promises that God has made our ancestors? What's up with us not even being able to worship God? Does he want us to worship him? What's up with him not allowing us to offer sacrifices for our sins? Doesn't he want us to atone for our sins? And we sit there and we go, the question is, where is God? Because he promises. He promises that he'll be like Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Like, where is that God? God, where are you? In fact, let me just ask this question real quick. And, and this is a show of hands real quick. Um, how many of you have ever felt the same way? Like you've asked yourself the question, God, where are you? Raise them high and proud. How many of you guys have felt that way before? Yeah, I mean, look around. Everyone has felt that way before. And this is how the Israelites are. And so what happens is that in Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 40, God gives Ezekiel a vision And here's what it says in Ezekiel 40, verse 1. It says, In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year after the city was struck down, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me to the city. In visions of God, he brought me to the land of Israel. Now remember, he's in Babylon. So God whisked Ezekiel away to the land of Israel. He sets me down on a very high mountain on which was a structure like a city to the south. And God, for the next eight chapters, begins to painstakingly give uh, dimensions for a city that, I, that Ezekiel takes notes on. Now, why so much detail? Because I'm going to be honest. Probably Ezekiel 40 through 48 is some of the most boring text that you can read. Like you're reading that and you're like, oh my gosh. Like why so much details? Why, why is God going through such painstakingly um, the minutia of saying this is how long this wall is and this is how high this building is? Well, because it's a vision of hope for God's people. It's a vision of restoration between the people of God and, and, and God himself. It was God telling Ezekiel that a time was going to be coming when the relationship between God and his people would return to how it was in the beginning in the garden, that there would be a restoration of that relationship. So let's fast forward. 600 years. 600 years after this vision, something happens. I I want to read about it. Matthew 1, just listen to these words. It says, but as he considered these things talking about Joseph here. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So Mary, who is engaged to Joseph, all of a sudden is pregnant. And she claims that she didn't have an affair, and he knows he's not the dad. And so he's considering, what am I going to do with my wife, who has cheated on me, And an angel comes and says in verse 21, she's going to bear him a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And we see that what happens in Matthew 1 is that we are told that God clothes himself in humanity Why? So that Jehovah Shema could be present. So that he could be there in their midst. John 1, 1 puts it this way. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light, the true light which gives light to everyone who's coming to the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, 
And his own people did not receive him. And then we skip to verse 14 and it says, And the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and he dwelt among us. And that word for dwelt literally means that he tabernacled among us. He pitched a tent, if you will. And he wrapped himself. God, who was in perfect relationship with humanity in the garden, and then that was fractured because of man's choice. And then he set up the temporary structure of the temple. Or he would come down in temporary spurts and say, I'm still here with you. Well, now he wraps himself in humanity and says, I'm here living among you. Now, you have to understand that the temple that was completely wiped out, that Solomon built, was actually rebuilt by the time Jesus got there. And Jesus goes through his ministry and he goes, listen, this temple's not necessary anymore. What's necessary is me. I'm here. In fact, he has a conversation with this woman She was a loser. I mean, a flat-out loser. She was a Samaritan. No one liked the Samaritans. Dogs had more rights than Samaritans. She was a nobody. And Jesus had an appointment with her that she didn't know that he was keeping. And she shows up at the well to get water when no one else is there so they can't belittle her and make fun of her because she had already been married five times and was living with a man that wasn't her husband. And it says in John 4, when Jesus and this woman are talking, this woman asks Jesus, you know, our fathers worship on this mountain, because they're in the northern kingdom right now. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And then Jesus goes down, and he says, listen, the hour is coming and it's here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Because God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God says, listen, or Jesus says, listen, the place, the city, the temple, it doesn't matter anymore. Because you can worship God wherever you are. You no longer have to go to the Holy of Holies, to Jerusalem, to meet with God. Because I, I, God, Flesh incarnate, God incarnate, I am now here with you. Jesus goes on and he tells his disciples later on, you know what, I'm gonna go away, but it's good that I go away because there's someone better coming that's gonna help you. John 16, 13, Jesus tells his disciples, you know what, when the spirit of truth comes, he's gonna guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own authority and whatever he, he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus says, listen, what's better than God coming and tabernacling amongst his people? It's God living inside of his people. And so we've got this reversal where God is trying to get humanity back to know that I am there. But that's not the point of today's sermon. Because I got you in Psalm 22. This is to set up a question that by your admission, I think almost everyone, if not everyone, raised their hands. Okay, I get it. God is there. But what if I feel like he's not? What do I do in that moment? What do I do if I don't feel like that he's got this. What do I do when I'm broken and I don't know where to turn to because who I thought was my rock doesn't seem to be present? See, Psalm 22 is a cry of anguish from David. Remember that great king, the greatest king I told you about that the Israelites ever had? He's feeling lonely, and he's feeling abandoned. And it seems in the moment that his enemies have won, and that this victory that he thought he was going to be guaranteed by God is just a pipe dream now. It's just, it's not ever going to happen. So this is the cry of someone that perhaps, I think we would word it differently in 2021, but I think the words in Psalm 22 can be felt by every believer or non-believer, honestly, at certain moments in your life. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna read a little bit of Psalm 22. We're gonna stop, we're gonna talk about it, and then we'll keep going on. So Psalm 22, verse one. 
This is David talking. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Very honest words penned by a man who God himself called a man after his own heart. And we see a man, and this is where your sermon notes are really gonna start taking off. We see a man who is having a cratering faith. He's a cratering faith. He's saying, God, you've left me. I'm crying out for you to save me. And you're far from me. I can't rest at night because I'm worried. Where are you? See, there's something we have to understand about when our faith craters. When our faith craters, feelings begin to take over. Feelings begin to take over. And the problem with feelings is this, is that feelings come from our heart. And according to Jeremiah 17, 9, our heart is deceitful above everything else. So that's not good. And so what happens is that when we feel like, man, I guess what I've held strong and firm to is not working anymore, we turn to what feels right. Well, here's the thing. When we feel abandoned by God, then what begins to set in is fear. And as fear begins to set in, doubt quickly follows it. And we can suddenly get very negative about life. And not just about the things that are bothering us about why God has forsaken us, but about all life. Now, I posted this yesterday on social media. There are lots of people that have taken um, credit for this quote. I don't know who said it originally, but I love it. It says this, fear is the dark room where the devil takes you to develop negatives. And I love that quote. Because it's so true, because when we let fear overtake us, then we never see anything positive and we begin to only focus in on the negatives. I get caught up in this often, like after an event, after Pumpkin Fest, the staff and I will have an evaluation time and it's always easier for me to point out all the things that went wrong than it is to point out all the great things that happened. We are just naturally bent to do that. I don't know why that is, but it's just how it works works. And when our faith is cratering and feelings begin to take over and we say, God, you've abandoned us, man, and then we get doubts. And when we start doubting, we begin to say, well, what's wrong? And we begin to ask questions like this. Um, well, what did I do wrong to God? Or does God not care about me anymore? Is God even there? I think these are questions that over the last 18 to 20 months during the COVID, I think a lot of uh, American Christians are having to ask themselves this question about, man, I feel off. I feel lonely. I feel like God's not there. And I'll be honest, for the first time in a long time, believers in the, in the United States are having to make a stance on, man, do I stand firm to the things that are true that I said I believe before a pandemic rocked my world? Or do I, do I shirk back into the darkness. And it's really horrible because I see more people shirking back into the darkness than I, I see standing up saying, I'm gonna be resolute in the things. And it's for a guy who's devoted his life to trying to point people to the light, it's, it, it's, it's a heavy thing. I'm just gonna be completely honest with you. It's, it's a heavy thing. And as fear begins to overwhelm us, here's what happens is that bitterness begins to set in. And as bitterness sets in, we begin to lose our perspective on who God is. And we forget that even when we can't feel the presence of God, we can still hold firm to the truth that he is still Jehovah Shema. And this is what David does. Look in verse three. Remember, he's just, his faith is cratering, guys. He's like, you're nowhere, God. Where are you at? And then he says in verse three, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. 
In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. This is what David does as his faith is cratering. He remembers the truth. He remembers the truth. See, the key to fighting back thoughts of fear and bitterness when you feel abandoned is this. It's to remind ourselves of what we know about God to be true. And this is what David does. He goes back and goes, okay, I don't feel you. You've left me. I am alone, but I know truth. You are holy. I know that you're enthroned on the praises of Israel. I know that my ancestors trusted you and you always delivered them. I know they cried out to you and you rescued them. I know that when they trusted you that they were not put to shame. I know this to be true. And he was, not that he in that moment necessarily believes that 100% because he feels like his faith is cratering. But he's like, okay, I gotta remember this. I gotta remember this. This is one of the reasons that we're going through the names of God so that we can have confidence in who God is. That we can know that he is Yahweh or that he is all-powerful, El Shaddai, or that he is the God who can heal us, Jehovah Rapha, or that he is my shepherd, Jehovah Ra. This is just so much more, by the way, than just saying it something over and over in our mind. This isn't like where we sit there and we just say over and over and over and over until we convince ourselves, right? This is something so much more than that. This is something that we're internalizing so that it's ingrained deep inside of us. Because just sitting there sometimes and repeating it over and over, that's not getting down to what the heart issue is. And the heart issue is the heart. That's what the issue is here. I love Psalm 119. Psalm 19 is all, 119 is all about the power of God's word. And so like Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119.11, one of my all-time top five favorite verses, I have hidden your word in my heart. Why? So that I won't sin against you. See, we remember who God is. We remember the things of God. And I think the reality that a lot of people are facing right now, and, and me as a pastor as having to come to, to the realization is this, is that, you know, you can't remember something if it was never there in the first place. You can't remember something if it was never there in the first place. If it was never ingrained before the bad times came, then it's hard to recollect those truths. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. It's happened to me a lot. It's like when, when I became an adult, all right? I don't know when that happens, but sometime when I became an adult and all of a sudden you're in a, you're in a pickle or you need to remember something and you remember something like from your childhood, like a song or a phrase or something, maybe your dad or your grandpa or, or that you know, some family member said and you're like, wow, where did that come from? It came from deep within. You didn't have to think about it. It just gushed out. Why? Because it was ingrained in you. And that's what David's doing here. He knows the stories. He knows that God is holy, or at least he knows that scripture says that he's holy. And so he's remembering him. He's reminding himself, okay, okay. And this is why it's so important. Look in verse six. He says, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. He's just mocking God there. Verse 11 says, be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there's no, no one to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. The reason it's so important that we remember stuff is because we live in a very unrelenting world. And we have to recognize the unrelenting nature of the world that we live in that is not um, friendly towards those that make Christ king of their life. It's just not. Jesus is very clear. If they reject me, they will reject you. And this is what David is feeling here. He feels despised by those around him. They're literally mocking God by saying, hey, you're a, you're a believer. God's supposed to save you, so let him do his thing. The reality was that no one was there for David in his time of need. 
David's strength was spent and his heart was waning. And was that true all the way around? I'm sure there were people in his life that wanted to encourage him, but in that moment, it felt like no one was on his side, that no one was there helping and it was just unrelenting. I've used the phrase lately that I felt like a pinata and Satan has just taken wax at me over the last three or four months, right? And that's just kind of how it is. It's just like, kick them while they're down. Kick them while they're down. And so, this is what David does. Look in verse 22. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generations. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. See, David goes one step farther than just remembering is that now he's beginning to walk in that faith. See, it's not enough to just remember truth. We have to also walk in that truth as well. And there is something that that David realizes here and he pins down on paper for us is this, is that God was never far away. And that if God was going to be close to him, then he needed to stay close to God. And that's a really good point for us today. If God is close to us and the Bible says that he is not far, then we should stay close to God. If we can recognize that even in the darkest times when I feel like I am alone, when the world is out to get me, when I am in pinata, when they're kicking me while I'm down, when I'm crying out to God, and when it feels like nothing is being answered, I need to remind myself that God is present. So the worst thing I can do is try to solve things on my own and do things on my own. I gotta press deeper into God. So my girls, my six and my nine-year-old, they think they wanna watch scary things, okay? Um... But when you watch like a G-rated movie and the bad guy comes in, man, my girls are chickens, all right? So here's what happens, is that I sit there and I watch a G-rated movie just like any great, great parent does, right? I sit there and I watch, all right, so this is an awesome cartoon, all right? And what happens is that the bad guy will come or, you know, the music gets tense and what happens is that I will be sitting on the love seat by myself, and all of a sudden, I will have Tweedledee and Tweedledum next to me. <laughs> and as the music becomes more tense, and as, as it as becomes more, uh, it's not even graphic, it's G-rated, right? And so it's like, they, they, they just become part of me. They just get closer and closer, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is uncomfortable, right? But what do I do? I put my arms around them, squeeze them tight, give them a little kiss on the forehead. I say, it's okay. Now, why, why do they do that? Because they know dad's there. They know dad is there in the room, bearing with them through the cartoon, all right? And they know that if they turn around when it gets tense, that dad is sitting on that love seat. And they're always right there. They never go to mom. I don't understand that, right? They go to me. And this is what David recognizes. You know what? God's always been close. I haven't felt it. But I'm reminded that he has always been there through my past, not only my past, but my ancestors' past. So I'm gonna stay close to God. I think there's a couple key things that we need to do if we're gonna stay close to God. I think this is the biggest one. So if you wanna stay close to God, then you have to have people in your life that will spur you on in your walk. Remember how I said David felt like everyone was against him? And I said, that probably wasn't true. He probably at least had someone. He had a Jonathan. He had someone. You need to have someone or some people in your life that will spur you on your walk. Let me give you some examples. Um, your spouse should be the chief cheerleader of your walk with Jesus. Should. 
Your spouse should be your number one prayer warrior, should be the one that helps you walk through difficult times, ask you how you're doing. Your spouse, if they're a believer, should be that person. And if you're both believers and that's not happening, then you're robbing each other of what one of your chief responsibilities is to spur each other on. Parents, the chief cheerleaders of our kids in their walk with Jesus are us. it's it's, It's us. And if we don't point them to Jesus above everything else, then we're setting our kids up for a rough life. Not that it's not gonna be rough already, but it's gonna be one that doesn't have a foundation that is ingrained in them to remind them, you know what? God's got this. My kids are, uh, my oldest is about to do, uh, I don't know what it's called, entering a competition, all right? I don't know, like where you, you can draw and you can write songs and it's all, how can you make a difference in the world? And I've never made any qualms about it. My six-year-old, man, her tender heart, it's just, she gets things so much faster than I do and a lot of people do. And so we're asking our kids, you know, okay, Kira, she's, she's our oldest, like, hey, what, what, what are we gonna write about? And um, she's like, I think we should like write about litter, like picking up litter. And I'm like, that's awesome. I mean, that's really good. I, I, I think l- picking up litter and trash and, you know, that, that, what, what was the old slogan back in Oklahoma with the Indian that, you know, don't lay your trash in Oklahoma, whatever it was. I think they took all those down because they were offensive. But I mean, uh, uh, but, I mean no, but for reals, right? I'm like, that's awesome. And then my six-year-old says, I know how we can change the world. We can tell everyone about God. And I'm like, I want to ingrain that stuff in my kids so that when they get old enough, that's what's rooted in them. Your best friends. You know, there's one or two people that you just cherish more than anything that you would go to battle for. They should be chief cheerleaders of you in your walk with Jesus. We should be pressing into them Because if we don't surround ourselves with people that will spur us on, here's what's gonna happen, is they will only feed the fear and the bitterness that's already present in our lives. They will try to tell you things that they think you wanna hear. And they wanna try to fix the problem. It just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way apart from the Lord. We need someone that's gonna point us and say, you know what, I know life really stinks right now. I get that. But God is still good. God is still good. A couple other things I think we need if we're gonna stay close to God. Reading his word. How are we gonna remember the things of God? Well, it's in the word of God is how we, are, we know the things about God. Praying. Praying consistently and fervently. I shared a couple weeks ago that prayer is our way of telling God that we don't got this and we need to lean into him. Corporate worship, what we're doing right now, coming together singing songs of praise, being led in worship, being reminded, all good things. And when David did this, when he's like, all right, I'm gonna be close to God, there's three things that David did. Number one was this, is that he said, I'm going to shout his name in verse 22 through 24. Even though David might not have felt like it, he was going to stand on the truths of God and he was gonna proclaim, I've got this because God's got this. I'm gonna let everyone know that God's got this. And I think one of the hardest things about when you're going through a tough time and you don't feel like Jehovah Shammah is there, I mean, it's hard to sing praises to God, right? He also, he says this, David says, you know what? I'm gonna go, I'm gonna walk in faithfulness. I put in my notes, don't be a quitter. Don't serve God based on our feelings. I'm gonna continue to be faithful to God. Why? Because God is close and faithful to me. And then last but not least, I don't have time to go into all this, but verses 27 through 31, David says that he was going to walk towards the future. And you go, what's the future? David knew what the promised outcome was going to be, even if he couldn't see it then. And we see it all over, that the kingship belongs to the Lord and that he he was gonna rule over all the nations, that he was gonna come and set everything right. That's what was gonna happen when David said, you know what, I'm gonna walk in faith even when I don't feel like it, even when I don't feel close to God. So what do we do with this? 
This is, this is a hard one. Because this is my life right now. This is my life. So what do we do to help us in the area of knowing that God is Jehovah Shammah? Because it's only mentioned one time in Scripture, but yet the evidence of it is written all over Scripture that he's always there. And so I think there's a couple things. I think number one thing that we can do is this. We can encourage one another. We can challenge one another. We can pray for one another. And I think in the midst of doing those things that we have to recognize that everyone's gonna mess up. And that no one's perfect. And that's why it's a journey. David was not a great guy, right? He, he had an affair, had the husband killed. I mean, he was not a good guy, but yet God still calls him a man after his own heart. And he had people that stuck with him and we're gonna mess up. And we need to speak words of encouragement and words of life. And we need to challenge one another and we need to remind one another and pray for one another. I think, I think that's the biggest thing that we can do as a church body is to come alongside and say, you know what, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, let's go arm in arm together. <laughs> let's, 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 go, let's go arm in arm together. Let's do this journey together. It's not always gonna be fun. Sometimes you'll be down, sometimes I'll be down. Man, let's do this together. I think another thing that we can do is this, is that we can ask ourselves, how are we doing at reminding ourselves when you don't feel like God's there? And what are you doing, maybe you're in the midst of a good time right now, what are you doing to ingrain the truth of who God is deep into your heart so that when you're in the corner in the fetal position sucking your thumb, that you're like, oh yes, but I remember this. I, and you're like, I don't even know where this came from. It, it came because you hid it deep in your heart. And so how are you doing it reminding yourselves, okay? And when we do that, man, we shout praises to God and we remind people and we encourage and we, 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 we march towards the future. And I just think if we could help remind each other that God is still present, I think it would help a whole lot <laughs> some of our restless nights and our feelings of abandonment and our feelings of, I'm just so alone. And we're almost kind of like um, Elijah. Elijah, after, after the fighting with the, the prophets of Baal, he cried out to God. He says, I am the only believer in the entire world. <laughs> and God says, okay, drama queen. <laughs> There's a whole city down there. This is our city. <laughs> we're not perfect. But we're in this together. Can I pray for you? Father, I come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And God, I am so grateful that you are Jehovah Shammah. I'm so grateful that you are a God who you are present even when we don't feel you present. And God, I think that if we're being honest, I think these last almost two years now, <laughs> I think there's a lot of people that maybe have felt like, I don't know if God's present or not. God, and I think that there's, there's a great battle that's being waged right now, Father. A great battle for what do we truly believe about you? And are we gonna lean into those promises even when it feels like it's not true? And so Father, I, I don't know what's going on with people in this room. I don't know what's going on with people online. God, but you do. Maybe someone went to the doctor and got a diagnosis that they just weren't expecting. Maybe there's a battle going on inside the family 
Maybe there's internal squabbling with just other believers. Or maybe there's just this deep feeling of depression because it's been a dark, dark last couple years. God, I pray that this morning would serve as a reminder that you have never left them and you have walked with them every step of the way and you will continue to walk every step of the way. Because we got something so much better than a vision of a future city which will bear the name Jehovah Shema. We have the spirit of God living inside of us and he is present and he is very much active. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I wanna ask you guys just two questions this morning. Number one, are you feeling abandoned? Are you feeling lonely? Are you feeling like God doesn't have you and that you maybe feel like David and you're in the midst of your faith is cratering? I would ask you to do this. Talk to God about it. Let him know. Press in closer to God right now. Let him know how you're feeling. He's a big God. He can take it. I'll be up here too. I'd love to talk to you. If you want to come and just share some stuff, I'll pray over you. Secondly, have you ever entered into a relationship with Jesus before? I walked through the entire story of people about how sin separated us from God and how Jesus came and he died on the cross for us so that he could be with you and you could be with him. And maybe you've never accepted that reality before, that gift that God offers us. Today is the day that you can just say, God, Will you forgive me of my sins? Will you come be king of my life? Will you be Jehovah Shammah with me? And the Bible clearly tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you don't fit into either one of those categories, I would say this, there's a bunch of people around you that do. And I would ask that you would pray for them. Maybe if you know about certain circumstances, go up, lay hands on them. Pray over them. Come up front to the altar. There's nothing special. It's just more symbolic than anything. Fall on your face. Cry to God. Pray. Pray that people would know that God is Jehovah Shammah. Father, we give these moments to you. We invited you to work in our hearts personally. God, may we respond now. When you're done praying, would you stand to your feet and join Grant and the band as they sing? Father, we give these moments to you. Grant, let's go ahead and sing. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about South Lakes Church, go to slchurch.life.